The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Such a joy and honor to be together with you today. Opportunity to share in the Word. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 17 to 24. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we're on page 955 in a, a Bible underneath a chair close by you. And you are welcome to have that Bible, not just use it today. Also, while you're looking there, I want to welcome those of you that are guests with us. Maybe you're here visiting family or this is your first time at Parkwood, there's a connect card in a little flap behind one of the chairs. If you take that, fill out the information and drop it in the offering plate at the end of our service, we would let, uh, be glad if you let us know so that we can follow up with you accordingly. We won't show up at your doorstep, we promise. We'd just like to know that you're here worshiping with us today. So 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 24 is the focus of, uh, of our message today. We've been working through 1 Corinthians and here in midway through chapter 7 where we've been talking about married and unmarried. He lays down a very important principle that reaches beyond marriage in our life, a message I'm calling living under the Lordship of Christ. So would you stand please as I read the Word of God. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So brothers... And whatever condition each was called, let there, let him remain with God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would help us to make sense of this text. I confess, we confess that the illustrations here are foreign to us. So help us to apply what you have taught to Corinth, to us gathered here at a church in Gastonia, North Carolina on the 1st of December, 2019. Lead us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So I'll start with the question that is plaguing the Christian community. Is Kanye a Christian? <laughs> we can debate that all day long. But this text has something to do with that. So let me go deeper. Don't answer out loud. Do you think it's possible that someone who has actually in the past referred to himself in some blasphemous ways, do you think it is possible that someone married to Kim Kardashian 
can become a Christian. And if you do, if you do, what should then Kanye do with his life? How should he go about living? Now, I'm familiar with all the scuttlebutt, both in the Christian community and outside of the Christian community, of what people think Kanye may or may not be up to. Time will tell. But I want us to think about our attitudes toward this issue as it relates to this text. Now, here's the main idea. Every believer must live the life the Lord has assigned to them under the Lordship of Christ. So the main point of this text is that one does not have to change one's life situation when you become a Christian. Now, it does not mean that a Christian's life circumstances and situation can never change. So don't take the text further than what it is saying. Every believer must live the life the Lord has assigned to them under the Lordship of Christ. And he lays this down with verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So let's focus in on this phrase. Lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him or walk in the way that the Lord has assigned. There's not a better way to translate the word than assigned, that this is the indicative of our life. This is what to be true of our life, that we live our lives as the Lord has willed our lives to be lived. Now that runs right up in the face of the modern mentality. The modern mentality says, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to get what I work for. And I'm going to get what I deserve as a result of my hard work. And now what is inched in among us is not just a modern mentality, but a postmodern mentality that says this. It's a little different. The postmodern mentality says I must be fulfilled. I deserve from my dreams to be fulfilled. Don't get in the way. Then we have the biblical mentality that I must do what the Lord has assigned. So let's try to make sense of this by unpacking this verse one piece at a time. So when is Paul talking about? When is it that we are to lead our life as the Lord is assigned? He says, to which God has called him. Now the word called is used in a very distinct way in 1 Corinthians. So let's go back to chapter 1. For those of you who were not present when we worked through chapter 1, and let me refresh or instruct. Verse 2, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Then verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The word called here has to do with what theologians call the effectual call or the call of salvation. This is what every Christian has in common. That there is a point in time when you heard the gospel and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, 
opened your eyes and your ears and God himself called you to himself in salvation and you believed. You were saved. So what is Paul not talking about? He's not talking about preachers. He's not talking about missionaries. He's not talking about people who are called to ministry. Paul is talking about every Christian. Each and every one who has been called by God into salvation. Now, where? He says at the end of the verse, this is my rule in all the churches. So he's speaking to every Christian everywhere. So wherever you find yourself as a follower of Christ, there you are to live the life that the Lord has assigned to you. Now this, this text goes deeper than just a simple principle. It gets into contentment and purpose and so many things. This is a quote from Tom Schreiner. Believers should not worry about changing their social status or their particular circumstances as if such matters were crucial for their relationship to God. Instead, they should content themselves with living out their lives in the particular places and circumstances which they find themselves. So we see when, when you're called, we see where, everywhere, and let's focus in on who. To define who, I'd like for you to consider with me Galatians 3.28, which says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. So what the Bible is teaching throughout Corinthians and in other places like Galatia, that there is no group of people who are superior when they come to Christ. We are all, regardless of our background, one in Him. He is our Lord and we are His servants. Now let's think about this in the immediate context. He's just been talking about married people and he's about to pick up a conversation about unmarried people. Now let's just be honest. In the church, in the conservative Bible-believing community, married people are looked at as more spiritual than single people. And the Bible's saying, that's just not true. We don't look at one as to be more superior than the other. We are all one in Christ. So Christians must see that any decision that we have to change our status, either from married to unmarried or unmarried to married, should not be made with the assumption that one status is more spiritual than the other. Now I just want to offer a warning before I move off of this point. This text must not be taken beyond its meaning. Paul is not saying that a believer never changes their circumstances or their situation. The principle is this, is that one situation is not more spiritual than the other. Now it's possible that you're involved in a circumstance that's sinful. You need to repent and remove yourself from that. But station in life and where you live and those kind of things are not spiritual matters as Paul is addressing here. Now, He's going to go into the Corinthian culture and he's going to point out two illustrations to which we're going to try to understand and then make application to our lives living here in 2019. Every believer 
must live the life the Lord has assigned to them under the Lordship of Christ, regardless of their cultural background. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let not let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Now, circumcision is a mark that Jewish males took as a sign of covenant. As time wore on, it became a sign of their religion. And as time wore on, it primarily became a sign of their ethnicity that they were identifying themselves as Jewish. Now, we know in the early church, particularly in Galatia, there were these people called Judaizers that were teaching that if you really want to become a Christian, you had to embrace circumcision. Paul says that is completely false. That is anathema. You're going to be accursed if you're preaching something adding to the gospel. But that probably was not the issue in Corinth. In fact, it was probably the opposite. It was people who came from a Jewish background who were advocating to remove the mark from themselves. And one of the places this practically played out was sports, which was huge in Corinth. Now, you may not like uniforms, but you ought to be grateful for uniforms. Because if you lived in Corinth at this point in time and you went to a sporting event, everyone played naked. No clothes was considered an unhindered way to play. So if you were a Jew, everybody knew. So this was a practical reason for people to say, I don't want to be that. So they tried to rid themselves of it. Now, what Paul is getting here is the principle that we are to live the life that has been assigned to us. So he says if you were circumcised at the time of your call, don't seek to remove it. If you were not circumcised, don't seek to gain it. So fundamental to Paul's vision of what the church is to be is that it transcends these cultural and ethnic boundaries. And through Christ, we are united, whether we're Jews or Gentiles or whatever boundary we place on each other. So let's just bring it to Gastonia for a few minutes. How do we size each other up around here? So let me start with a question. Don't be embarrassed because I love you. And I'm I'm, I'm a pastor to you regardless of where you're from. So with trepidation, if you're not from the South, raise your hand. All right. You ever heard this question? You're not from around here, are you? Now, where did it come from? It came from the moment you opened your mouth. Right? And we do that with people from the north, and then we make these assumptions. They're rude. I love you people from the north, by the way. They're rude, they can't drive, and they're overly aggressive. Or if someone opens their mouth and we hear a strong foreign accent, we may make a decision that they're illegal, or they don't work, or... We size people up culturally very quickly. And what Paul is saying here, as far as we are as Christians, we should not allow those things to define us. So let me talk about going to college for a moment. I'm serious when I say this. 
My world was pretty small prior to going to college. I did not know that I had a thick southern accent. Now, I knew I had an accent. I just did did not know I had a thick southern accent. So I went to college with primarily people who were not from the South and who came from money. I was from the South and I didn't come from money. So they sized me up quickly. It took me a few weeks to figure this out as ignorant and stupid because of the way I talked. So it became my mission to overcome my accent. I was ashamed of how I sounded. Now, you may sit here today and say, well, I don't hear a thick southern accent. I've actually had people say that when they find out I'm from Western North Carolina. It's another issue now. I am not ashamed of where I'm from, and if I get around my people, I'll talk just like them. Okay? But it's another issue. I want you to understand me. Now, Paul's going to come to this later in Corinthians. That we don't put anything as a barrier to the gospel. Nothing. And if it means cleaning up the way I speak so that I can be clear with the gospel, then that's what I need to do. But let's go back to the matter of hand. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. So whatever cultural background you come from, that doesn't count for anything. Whatever value that we might want to place on something, Now, Paul takes this in in, in Galatians and he presses it further and he says almost the same thing. For in Christ Jesus, so if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Here's what matters is that that we are working out our salvation and that we're loving each other. And then in chapter 6, he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. A new creation, a person that has been changed forever by the grace of God, who has heard the glorious gospel of Christ, that Christ died on the cross for our sin, that he was buried and three days later that he rose again to conquer sin and death on our behalf, and that we have trusted in Christ alone to save us, that when we have believed on him, that when we have been called into salvation, the evidence of our conversion is that we keep the commandments of God, not the commandments of men. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You could translate it this way. Do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, it's implied if you put these two texts together. Do you not know that those who do not keep the commandments of God will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, it's not that we keep the commandments to earn our salvation. We now keep the commandments of God. We obey God's word because we have been saved, that we are new creations. John says it this way, 1 John 2, 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. You see, what happens when we become Christians, our desires and our purpose change. What we did not want to do, now we desire. We desire to obey God and we desire to live our lives for the Lord under the Lordship of Christ because we have been made new. You think, well, Paul's finished right here. He presses this further. He doesn't just deal with what separates cultures. He now goes inside of a culture and says what separates people inside of it. So what was separating Corinthians? Third and final point. 
Every believer must live the life the Lord has assigned to them under the Lordship of Christ, regardless of their social status. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Condition here means station of life. Where you find yourself at the moment you became a Christian. Now let's just admit it. The prosperity gospel birthed in America and his influence in all of Christianity. I heard of a church to where they refer to their members as millionaires in training. This is one of the issues that's surfacing with Kanye that it appears he's adopting this mentality and things that he's saying and doing. The prosperity gospel is not even a gospel. It's a false gospel. But what's underneath that is this idea that if you become a Christian, the Lord wants to improve your social status. Well, this text just runs right in the face of that. It says each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now, he's going to draw from the social illustration and he's going to go to the lowest of low in Corinth. He says, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. Now, slavery is not an issue for us seated in this room living in this country. But recent statistics show that there are more slaves alive on the planet Earth right now in the year 2019 than ever in the history of the world. There are places today where this text is relevant. But at this point in Corinth, one-third of the people were slaves, one-third were emancipated slaves or former slaves, and one-third had been free their entire life. Paul affirms here that if you can gain your freedom, then get it. But he doesn't command freedom. The gospel came to flourish in a culture of slavery. People would conquer another people and take them into slavery. In a Roman city like Corinth, people were born into slavery. And, and this, is, this is hard for us to comprehend. People in Corinth would sell themselves into slavery because it gave an opportunity for education or to improve their social status. It wasn't a racial issue. They were all basically of the same race. Now, sidebar for a moment. To my African-American brothers and sisters in this room, I am not indifferent to your heritage or to the scourge in which your ancestors suffered in coming against their will to this continent. It is a blight on the church and it is particularly a blight on the church in the South and it is a blight on what we call the Southern Baptist Convention because it birthed over this issue. This passage was used to defend and approve slavery. And that is wrong. Awareness of the past treatment of slaves by those who claim to be followers of Christ should disturb us. This is the baptismal confession of slaves from the South. So that means this. Thanks be unto God, the gospel was offered to some of the slaves. But for many of them, they had to 
affirm this creed at their baptism. Quote, Do you declare in the presence of God and before the congregation that you do not ask for this holy baptism out of any design to free yourself from the duty and obedience that you owe to your Master while you yet live, but merely for the good of your own soul and to partake of the grace and blessings promised to members of the church of Jesus Christ? You say, now preacher, why would you read all this? Here's why I read it. Because don't you think for a moment that we won't redefine the Bible to fit our cultural preference. What's happened in the past will happen again. This is the kind of thing that Paul is confronting here. He's not affirming slavery. He is simply instructing those who have come to Christ in the midst of slavery, and might I add, in whatever station of life you find yourself, to live under the Lordship of Christ. Because here's the truth. What we have and where we live and what we do does not define us. Christ does. In 1 Corinthians, he says, verse 26, chapter 1, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. He presses this in verse 22. He who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man in the Lord. Likewise, he who was, a, who was free when called is a, is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So in either condition, you find yourself when you come to faith in Christ. Slave or free, Christ can be fully served. If you were a slave, you are now free in Christ. You are free from the slavery of sin. This is true of every believer. Sin no longer defines us. And if you were free before coming to faith in Christ, you are now slaves of Christ. Christ has every right to say, live the life that the Lord has assigned to you. Because you're an American Christian, you don't get to throw that out of the Bible. You are now slaves of Christ. How can we say this? Because you were bought with a price. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, with the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross as he paid the penalty of your sin and absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf. Now, through Christ and through Christ alone, we can serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We now live under his dominion as his slaves. But we're not hated slaves. We're not mistreated slaves. We are loved slaves who have been bought with the death of Christ. We belong to him. We are in him. We are his. And no social position makes one of us better than the other. You, plural, were bought with a price. Then he says this. Do not become slaves of men. Fixing to go from preaching to meddling. None of you went somewhere on Thursday you didn't want to go, did you? 
<laughs> you better go. It's important to be with family. Don't lose that. But here's what you better lose. If your family's dictating whether you follow Christ, you follow Christ. Because I've had young people and adults in this church who's their mother and father who were members of this church told them, no, you're not doing that. Young people like who's going to sit here on this platform in just a few minutes, young people like Kelsey whose parents have told them they can't go overseas. Would you be a slave to men? Would you be a slave to your parents? How about your job? Well, you know, I have to work 70 hours a week if I'm going to advance. Brothers, let me just tell you something. And ladies, you're going to be my age one day and your kids are going to be raised and they're about to leave you. All those hours working aren't going to mean a thing. Would you be a slave to a job? Now I'm going to step out on thin ice and I'm going to talk about sports. If there is something that is enslaving a culture, it's sports. Sports has now begun to dictate how Christian families relate to the church. To where people say this to me. I've had this conversation since my youth pastor days. Well, you know, you know, my kids committed that team. They got to be there on Sunday. How about this team? How about what the Bible says about this team? About not forsaking yourself? I have a question. Did I say your family was bad? Did I say having a job was bad? Did I say sports were bad? All right, don't write me letters. Here's what I'm saying. Don't you be enslaved to them, any man in any form. But let me bring it into the church for a minute. You ever notice how some churches you join, you've got to have a certain haircut and wear certain clothes? It, it's not like that around here. It used to be, but it's not like that around here anymore. But there's subtle things up under the table. So let the preacher at Parkwood get one and bring it out and lay it up on the shelf here and let's just talk about it for a minute. Education. Oh, our kids go to public school. My children are missionaries. Oh, my kids go to private school. I, I, I owe it to my children to have a good Christian education. They go to private school. We homeschool. We're responsible for our kids. Nobody else responsible to educate my kids. We are. Unspiritual, unspiritual. Unspiritual, unspiritual. Unspiritual, weird. <laughs> Y'all have never said any of this stuff, have you? Now, I warned the last service. Don't you go home and post on Facebook the merits of homeschooling, private schooling, or public schooling because the preacher might just respond. Here's my point. If under the Lordship of Christ you are convicted that your children need to go to public school, send them to public school. And if under the Lordship of Christ your children need to go to a private Christian school, you send them to a private Christian school. And under the Lordship of Christ you're convicted to homeschool your children, then you homeschool them and stop judging everybody else. 
Live the life the Lord has assigned to you. And for those of you who think, because i, I got to say this, because I've lived in all three communities, all right? Not till college. Now I have a public college. You know, each group thinks they're something. It's not just the homeschoolers that think they're something, okay? So let me just say it. We can pick anything like this. We are to live the life that the Lord has assigned. So here's, here's my final question. Am I embracing the life the Lord assigned to me under the Lordship of Christ? So I'm going to go back to Kanye for a moment. If Kanye is a Christian, just take the context. If Kanye is a Christian, should he divorce Kim? No. The Bible tells him not to. If Kanye is a Christian, should he stop producing and singing and making music? No. The Lord says for him to live the life that is assigned to him. How about you? Last night, the college kids were at my house. I knew it would get said. I heard a conversation. I'm getting out of Gastonia as soon as possible. Where are you going? Going somewhere not here. Going somewhere with restaurants and, and, you know, and a bakery and hip stores. And Go ahead. Some of you today, welcome back. Here's what defines you. G-Town doesn't define you. If you're a Christian, Christ defines you. Here's where starting over began. You ready? The moment you were called. Starting over began at your conversion. The moment when Christ became your Lord and Savior, everything changed. All of life got redefined. The question is, how do we continue to move on? Verse 24 answers it. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. And he says something different here. He doesn't just stay in, say stay in the place assigned to you. He says, let him remain with God. Now what's interesting is the word remain when you go over to John chapter 15, once you turn there with me, when you go over to John chapter 15, this word is repeated over and over again, and it's translated this way. Let him abide with God. In John 15, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You know what the real core issue is of why you're wanting out of here or wherever here is? Is you're not content. That's the thing staring all of us in the face regardless of our age and stage of life and how much money we make, or what kind of job we have. It's a lack of contentment and a lack of joy. Brothers and sisters, if, if they ought to be able to find anybody on the planet content, it ought to be us. If they ought to be able to find anybody, regardless of life circumstances, 
who are joyful, it ought to be us. Because that's how we are to be. It is Christ who defines us. And Paul says, whatever condition you're in, when you're called, if you're a Christian, whatever condition, abide in God. And that's where you're going to find contentment and joy. His name was Willis Clark. You know what Willis did for a living? He drove the bulldozer at the Catawba County Landfill. He lived in a four-room shack. When we found out Willis had bladder cancer, we went to his house because he said his bathroom wasn't working. Not only was it not working, it hadn't worked in years. We were all stunned that day as we repaired it and made it functional again. And let me tell you how Willis showed up on Sunday. He come flop, flop, flopping down the road in his old Chevy pickup, rusted out in the wheel wells, made his way into his handicapped parking place, got out with his pockets bulging with mints, without a tooth in his mouth, and as a result of a stroke, he mumbled through what he said with a big smile on his face as he handed out those mints to every child. He sat with his big old King James Burgundy Bible. I can still see it. The amen. He stood and sang so off key and so loud to every hymn every Sunday morning. But here's what was true of Willis Clark until the day cancer took his life. He is the most joyful, content Christian I've ever met. That is not an overstatement. After he died, I went into his house to get his Bible to preach his funeral. When I opened that big old thick Bible, it was marked everywhere in a hardly eligible writing. And it was the first week of the month. We had passed the first Sunday. And inside of it were three envelopes for the rest of the month. This little man who had nothing had put what little nothing he had in there to give for the rest of the month. That's who he was. If you went to his house, he's going to give you something. You know where it came from? The landfill. <laughs> but he'd have given it to you as if he'd have went to Diamonds Direct and bought it for you with joy. That's what a joyful Christian looks like. It's not a fancy house and a fancy car and a big education and a nice job. It's whatever station of life you are, whatever the Lord has assigned to you, you live under the Lordship of Christ. You know why? Because if you're a Christian, you've been bought with a price. And if you're not a Christian, here's the truth. Jesus laid down his life for you that he might give you what you have never earned or deserved, that he might grant you salvation and put you on a pathway of joy and contentment. Let's pray. Father, I plead on behalf of my brothers and sisters and the men and women who've gathered in this place and ask, O oh God, that you would open our eyes to see the joys of salvation. That you would open our eyes to see what it means to be a follower of Christ. That you would confront our discontentment and our lack of joy. That you would confront our prejudices in the way we treat others. And Lord, that we would see one another as in Christ. That we would see ourselves as in Christ. And that you would flood our souls with the joy and contentment of being a follower of Jesus. 
Bless us now as we sing and respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. While we sing, there'll be pastors and ladies who can counsel with you. I'll be in the lobby as long as it takes after the service. Love to talk with you further about what God is speaking. Let's stand. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.